Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yeah. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's Sports Illustrated Tennis Channel Tennis Podcast. My name is Jamie Lasanti and I am filling in here for our usual host, John Wertheim, who is over in London at a little tennis tournament you guys may know as Wimbledon. So we'll be talking to John from the All England Club about everything that's been happening in this first week. Let's bring him in now. John, how are you doing? Good, how are you doing? Good. We're here on day four, Thursday, uh, about 7.30, your time. I was going to say, we need to timestamp this uh, for the sake of results. It's about seven, yeah, what is it, after seven on Thursday, day four. Uh, we've already had July 4th, two days ago. If you hear background noise, it is uh, Mary Carrillo and Jim Courier calling uh, a match here for Tennis Channel. But, um, yeah, it's, it's been an interesting four days. Some surprises, some non-surprises, some controversy, a gruesome injury, and uh, it's sort of tennis business as usual. Let's go to the most recent I want to talk about. Um, you know, we've seen the video. We, we kind of Bethany Maddox Sands approaches the net, kind of slips, falls, her knee buckles. She goes down, takes a little bit of a long time for, uh, you know, a physio and, and help to come over. But she's sort of screaming, someone help me. Um, you know, she has to get taken off in a stretcher. Were you there? Kind of tell us about the scene and what have you heard since then about about that injury? That, that was about an hour ago, Jamie. I, I have to tell you, I, I've never seen anything like that in tennis. I mean, this, this was just a, a gruesome, gruesome injury. I've never seen a player on the court in, in that much pain. I don't know, if, I don't know what they showed him. I was watching here at the Tennis Channel studio so we could sort of see the court behind us. It was on court 17. I don't know what got shown on, on conventional television and what didn't. I imagine this is uh, a lot of gifts and gifts floating around. Uh, the, the audio was just 
sickening. And if you know Bethany, she's also sort of a colorful character in tennis. I mean, I think that the fact that she's someone that a lot of us know only added a dimension to this. But yeah, I've never seen an injury like this. Clearly, her right knee gave. I, I don't, you know, probably shouldn't speculate any more than that. And I, I said this on the air. Sometimes in sports, something that seems fairly innocuous ends up being serious and something that looks just awful mm-hmm. uh fortunately isn't as bad as as the video might appear but i've never seen an athlete i don't think an athlete i mean never mind a tennis player i don't think i've ever seen an athlete in that much pain i mean she was screaming i don't know if they um i, I don't sort of know what audio was released and what wasn't but their mics on the court and yeah you could hear it she was saying like put me out if you heard it just she wanted them to make her unconscious i mean the pain was so excruciating and you know 20 minutes you're right you're right it did seem to take an awful long time um her opponent Serrano Cristea just looked a- absolutely uh horrified as well American player Coco Vandaway came Lucy Safarova her doubles partner Bethany's came to the court she's 32 years old she's had knee injuries before I don't know the extent of it she, she left the complex they didn't even sort of bother with the conventional um, training room. I mean, I assume she just went right to the hospital, but it was it was really it was hard for everyone to watch, and you just hope that uh, it's one of these sports injuries that isn't as bad as it looked. Because it looked just, I mean, it was it was it was honestly it was difficult to watch. It was, and the audio did pick up, and you know you, you did hear her. I mean, probably not as as much as maybe you did um, from the you know tennis channel base there but it was just a horrific scene and what was even more kind of gut-wrenching about it is when you saw Lucy Safarova her doubles partner you know as you you kind of said going for the calendar grand slam they were uh she sort of runs over um you know in tears visibly upset obviously this is a good friend not only just a, a partner you know for her on the court and um you know it just a horrific scene. You don't want to see that happen to anyone, um, you know, especially, especially, uh, you know, when they're going for something so big uh, like that. The um, yeah, I mean, the other thing too is that when you when you make contact with a player, it's it's a you know it's it's a default. I mean, once there's physical contact made with a player, and her husband Justin came running out of the stands before the camera even panned, he was on the court and was over her. So sort of. Winning the match was the least of anyone's concerns, and I imagine. I mean, you're right. I mean, we've we've talked about how Bethany and Lucy Safarova were going for their fourth straight major in doubles. That also seemed to be the least of anyone's concern. I mean, I think now it's let's just see what exactly this injury is. But it's. I mean, I, I've actually kind of stayed off. I've, I've seen some speculation and I've seen some video. I've stayed away from it. Um, but I mean, honestly, at this at this point, you you hope it's not career ending. Definitely. We'll, we'll stick with the woman's jaw here for a bit. Um, another kind of result today, you know, so we saw um, Petra Kvitova, obviously a two-time champ, you know, go out yesterday. She was kind of a top favorite here. And then today, uh, three-seed Karolina Pliskova goes down in three sets as well. Another big-time favorite for the title. Who is the favorite in the women's draw now? I mean, who who do those losses open up the draw for? Elena Ostapenko of Latvia. <laughs> um, no, I mean this is uh, you know the funny thing about that when Serena Williams, who's who's obviously now in in the third set of her pregnancy, when she 
went off tour and when she missed the French Open, this, the thinking was that the draw was wide open. And we did have this unseated player, Nostopenko, win the title. But until then, it wasn't that crazy a draw. I mean, Simona Halep, who a lot of people picked to win, got to the final and was a few games from winning. Pliskova, who was a top-five player, got to the to the semifinals. Um, I mean, it, it didn't break quite as crazy as everybody thought. This tournament is breaking nuts. I mean, Carolina Pliskova was a lot of people's choice to win. She was a favorite with the betting houses. As you say, she lost today to a player who's barely in the top 100 and really faltered at the end. I mean, a lot of people thought Petra Kvitova, back from that home invasion hand injury, was, was ready to win. That proved not to be the case. Madison Keyes is out of the draw. As we speak right now, uh, Andy Kerber is, is the top seed in a, a finalist last year. Is probably statistically the, the best player to win. But, you know, who knows at this point? You do have a feeling this draw is going to open even wider. And, you know, you look at a player, I, Coco Vandeweghe is a name that, that comes to mind. Mm-hmm. I said it half jokingly, but I, you know, I really, I think Ostapenko is, has a certain toughness to her. I think it says a lot about her that age 20 coming off this life-changing result in Paris, she's come here and won both of her matches. She's clearly not so overwhelmed by uh, this, this new status. You know what? I mean, honestly, to me, it makes it kind of fun. I mean, the men's game has been admirably predictable. And I think that uh, this is the opposite. And there's, there's a certain fun to this as well. So, you know, I mean, I think that you have to look at Venus Williams, for example, as someone uh, who suddenly has, has a real chance here. I thought Pliskova going out today, though, was, was a big, big upset. Uh, Kvitova, if there's still a little rust in, in only, you know, her, her third tournament since this injury, uh, you, you sort of understand it. Madison Keys also has been injured, hasn't played a lot. But, you know, Pliskova, with that big serve in this court, and she really seems to have gotten her confidence, the fact that she went out in the second round and the fact that she now has – she has a losing lifetime record at Wimbledon. And this is the number three player in the world who moves pretty well and has a huge serve. That's just sort of inexplicable for me. Yeah. You mentioned Ostapenko, and so last yesterday, uh, the Ostapenko match and the Keys Georgie match were kind of both finishing at the same time, sort of the last matches to conclude um, on day three. And what I thought was interesting, um, and I know you said, you know, Keys sort of just coming back, she may not be in, in the shape that she was, you know, before her injuries, but there was a point where. Ostapenko and Keys had both forced the tiebreaker, and they both had put themselves in a good position there to win it. Um, and, you know, both of them forced a third set, but then you see how, you know, they both responded. Keys ended up losing 6-1 in that final set. Ostapenko wins 6-3. Um, and just the, as you said, that fiery attitude of, of Ostapenko, you know, she didn't back down. She didn't kind of lose hope after, you know, dropping uh, – the first set there, uh, it was impressive. I, I agree with you. I think she's a she's definitely a name uh, on the women's side that could break through here. And quietly, uh, I also want to put out Muguruza has been, you know, kind of making her way through. No muss, no fuss. Um, who knows? No, I mean Muguruza's here. Remember, she was a finalist two years ago. She's here with, without her her traditional coach in, uh, in, in Sam Sumick and Muguruza is a very up and down player. We, we've seen the down. Um, we've seen the up as well. I, I think you're right. I think I would add her name to the, uh, 
to the list. I, I don't think, I mean, with Simona Hollips in it, I don't think it's going to be a situation in Paris where an unseated player is going to win the title. But, I mean, the other thing, too, honestly, any any winner now is almost a surprise, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe Kerber notwithstanding. I mean, if Venus wins, um, you know, if, if Venus wins her sixth title here almost a decade since her last one, it's quite a story of Hollip. A few weeks after losing that French Open that she probably should have won, if she can rebound and win Wimbledon, that's a story. I mean, the, the one thing about this open draw is it's sort of a story no matter which way the, uh, the plot breaks, but it's been, um, it's been very unpredictable on the women's side. All right, let's switch over to the men's side. Who's impressed you most so far uh, in the tournament for the men? It's a little early to tell. Um, you know, we saw Stan Wawrinka go out. And other than that, not much in the upset department. Del Potro lost to Ernest Golbus today, but otherwise, you know, Roger Federer has looked terrific. Novak Djokovic has looked terrific. Remember, Federer and Djokovic only had to play 40 and uh, 43 minutes, 40 for Djokovic, 40 for 43 for Federer in the first round. Um, neither of them has really been tested. Andy Murray has looked very good. I mean, you just sort of go down the list. Sasha Zverev, as, as, we, as we literally, as I say this, he just got off the court beating Francis, uh, TFO, it's, it's been a nice uh, tournament so far for the for the favorites. I think that, uh, you know, everyone's looking for a Nadal Federer showdown, uh, maybe a rematch of, uh, of Murray Djokovic from a few years past. But uh, realistically, it still seems very early on the men's side. Uh, none of the favorites have really been tested yet. We have had some uh, off-court kind of ruckus happening you touched on this a little bit uh, in your mailbag column, but let's talk a little bit about Bernard Tomic. Uh, today, he was dropped by his racket sponsor, Head, uh, after his comments and his post-match press conference after his first-round loss, saying uh, you know, that he felt bored during the match, and he admitted that he had called the trainer over not for treatment, but basically just to disrupt his opponent momentum what's your thoughts yeah i'm you know i'm i'm glad you i'm glad you mentioned the uh state court call because to me that was almost more galling i mean he's not the first player to have momentum and motivation issues and i think if you know a bit about the backstory he had a, a rough childhood and a controversial father there's a part of the uh reserve some pity for bernard tomic and some of that press conference i don't know if people can go online and see it on the Wimbledon website, but some of that press conference really sounded like, it, you know, I, I don't want to play psychiatrist too much, but a, a, a call for help might be overly dramatic, but it did not seem like a well, that seemed like a mentally well person. I, I do think that um, we should pause. I'm glad you brought up the fake court call because so, someone made a good point to me. They said that cheating is, is an issue in junior tennis. Uh, you know, you, you and I, we, we posted a piece on, SI.com by a young junior player a few months ago mm-hmm. that uh, talked about it. And someone said, listen, here you're at Wimbledon. You've got a court. You've got all sorts of officials. You're surrounded by fans. And if you're even cheating then, calling a fake bathroom break, basically, if you're, if you're cheating then, what hope is there for the back courts at uh, a Boys 16 event? And a lot of people have talked about the sort of the motivation and Tomic basically admitting he didn't give it is all, and obviously there's a there's a history here. He's not called Tomic the tank engine for nothing. I mean, this has not come out of nowhere. There's a long history of uh, of, of fines and of shaky performances. You know, this is a guy who was once a top 20 player and is now, mm-hmm. you know, out of the top 50 and seems indifferent. 
And the remarks he made about how, listen, I could win the trophy or I could lose in the first round, it wouldn't make a difference to me. I mean, again, this, this seems like somebody who's not in a good place mentally, but I do think that cheating is something that got a little bit overlooked. And uh, again, it's, it's the same with other sort of shaky tactics and the well-timed bathroom breaks that we tend to see uh, in the women's game. And, and even, you know, people have put shrieking in that same category. And the point that was raised to me, and I think it's a pretty good one, is if the pros at the highest level with fines and officials and you know video of every match, if they're bending the rules, what hope is there for uh, you know the, the college tennis match or the junior match? Definitely. And, and so the, the, the fine, $15,000, was um, about one-third of his prize money and was for unsportsmanlike conduct. So as you said, I think because of his comments afterwards sort of making the headlines, I think the actual – disruption that he you know admitted to was um you know lost in the in the shuffle a bit um any other sort of news from around the grounds kind of off-court storylines that you can tell us about that maybe we don't see on tv um yeah i mean we, we talked a bit about about bethany uh maddox sands and her knee injury and i think one thing that it sort of brought home was just that it's a combative sport and it's two players one on each side of the net and it's confrontational and it's individual but there is this sense of community and you saw players including her doubles player lucy stafferover who ironically is on the court now playing and winning her singles match but you saw all sorts of players sort of come onto the court coco vandaway and then i was in the lounge afterwards and it was just this really sort of gloomy mood you know here we are it's a beautiful day it's the fourth day of wimbledon this beautiful tournament and there was a sense that there sort of had been this, this injury in the family, and it was really a, a dark mood. And it reinforced to me that at the end of the day, this is sort of a, a traveling family, and the players can compete against each other, but that doesn't mean they have to, to dislike each other. Um, I think, you know, Tomic people are talking about a lot as well on a, on a variety of levels. One of them is, and Justin Gimelstop made this point on, on our air, which I think is interesting, that in this era of the big four, not just playing so well, but also being so professional and also um, ha- having this demeanor and the sportsmanship, it really throws into sharp relief these, these other tantrums. So if this were other eras when the, the top stars were complaining and throwing rackets and getting fined, it would be one thing. But at a time when the very, very top of the game wouldn't do anything uh, to, to run afoul of the rules, the fact that uh, you've got a player ranked so much lower, basically saying that he wasn't giving his total effort and that he had this bogus court call, I, I think that makes it uh, all the more striking. Um, you know, I, one story that uh, has caught my attention, Victoria Azarenka, who is back from maternity leave and seems really in, in a good place. Her son Leo is here. He's on the practice court when she practices, but in the nursery or with her mom when uh, Azarenka plays, and she's she's been terrific. I mean, she's a two-time major champion. We were talking before, Jamie, about who could fill the Serena's out and the Pliskova's out and Fitova's out, who, who can win this thing. Um, Azarenka's a name that I probably, uh, if we could do some audio magic, I would probably go back and uh, and add that, but it's been fun to see her, her as a mother. Um, we had a lot of talk about injuries in day one and what to do with players who clearly were playing just for the first round prize mm-hmm. money that um, is about $50,000. But, you know, I mean, I think this is kind of typical of, uh, of a two-week tennis tournament, that the first, the first, uh, you know, first few days you've, you've got some random stories and, you know, you had a player, Medvedev, who tossed coins 
mockingly at an official. You sort of have these these silly under the radar stories. I mean, John McEnroe compared Djokovic to Tiger Woods. That got some attention, but ultimately, uh, sort of the the tournament grows up in the middle week and in the second week, and then it becomes a lot more about the stars and the tennis and who can win the uh, trophy. But it, but again, I mean, you and I are talking. It's still before eight o'clock on Thursday. And honestly, we, we've got Federer in action. We had Djokovic win. We've had a lot of good matches. Vera, the TFO, we had, you know, Milos Raonic and Dimitrov. And really the, the mood has been completely uh, subsumed by the, this, this horrible Bethany Maddox fans injury. It really seems to have, uh, at least in the players lounge, really sort of cast a pall over, uh, over everything today. And we'll sort of await further, word on how she's doing but that it really i think freaked you know martina was here and then she didn't even want to go sort of practice she was so shaken by it it really uh it, it really understandably when you see the video but it, it's really cast a pall over uh this entire evening it's interesting because i think you know you don't really see that sort of thing happen you know tennis is not necessarily a contact sport, right? We wouldn't say we see, you know, gruesome collisions like we may see in a soccer match when, you know, players go up for headers or obviously in a, you know, a football game or, um, you know, even in basketball when players are fighting, you know, down for a loose ball or something like that. I mean, this was something that sort of happened out of nowhere, but it's really interesting to see, um, you know, you always see the teammates of people, you know, go down on one knee or, you know, they come out to kind of support the player, but... It's really interesting to hear you talk about um, kind of the whole tournament, um, you know, and it's it's not a small place, Wimbledon or the All England Club, right? Kind of the whole tournament coming together um, after something like that's remarkable a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and they're especially at a, a tournament like this where there are TVs everywhere, so they're in in the lounge and in the walkways. If this were, you know, wherever, name your Cincinnati or just pick your, uh, you, you know, Barcelona. It's unclear if, if people would have seen and heard it, but a tournament like this where there's microphones on every court and multiple cameras on every court, everybody uh, watched it. I, again, I, I saw that there were a number of uh, GIFs or GIFs floating around. I also, I mean, it sounds really crass to say this, but I also think there's, um, there, there's a financial element to this, that if you have a horrible, you mentioned you know, soccer players and, you know, uh, head injuries, um, heading the ball or, or gruesome NFL injury. But, um, you know, they're, they're guaranteed their con- contracts in those sports. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think something that uh, someone else said to me, they said, listen, if that's, if that's me and I'm missing months and months and months of tennis, that also means I'm missing months of, uh, of paychecks. And, mm-hmm. again, the first thing when you see Bethany Maddox fans riding on the ground isn't uh, about lost income. But I do think that there's a big difference in an individual sport where it's, it's eat what you kill – um, and an injury that takes you out for a long time also has big financial consequences. That's something that uh, two, you know, two people have brought up to me in the last hour that you know I think probably bear some mention as well. Definitely, as you said, not not maybe not a first mention, but you know there are exactly. definitely repercussions that just kind of echo beyond you know the the initial injury. Um, but as we said earlier, we hope that she we hope it's not as bad as it seems, and we hope that she kind of is on her way to a quick recovery already. We'll keep you updated on her status there. Um, You did mention the retirements. We had another one uh, to bring the men's total to eight. So that was a big story. I know a lot of people were uh, going back and forth on 
what the protocol should be there. And, you know, a lot of people were also concerned because the center court ticket holders, um, you know, kind of got gypped in that that first day with uh, Djokovic and Federer. And then, you know, you end up seeing, you know, one full match only. Um, you, you talked about, touched on a little bit in your column about sort of a solution for this or what you believe. You want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, this is a solution the ATP has, has tried, and I think it makes even more sense in, in the majors where everyone is going to be there anyway, which is basically everyone that's eligible to play. So everyone, if you're make the draw cutoff, which usually is, uh, you know, in, in about 100, um, you get paid. And if you can't play, you still get your money. Maybe you come and maybe you do a, a kid's clinic or an autograph signing, but everyone that's eligible gets at least their first round money. And if you say, listen, I'm just not up to it. I'm compromised. I'm not going to be able to play. Then a lucky loser takes your spot. The lucky loser doesn't get paid or get ranking points unless he or she wins. So basically the tournament isn't paying out any more money. The guys who are playing now, even when they have no hope of winning or just here to collect a check, they still get paid. And we have these options now that are, being given to, to lucky losers who say, listen, I, I may not be getting paid to take the court, but if I win, then things are looking good for me. So I think I think everybody, uh, it's a win-win-win. And the other thing, too, is the fans win, too, because you'll get to see fully healthy players. And, you know, I mean, I, I, I sympathize with the players. I mean, it's a lot of money. If you're, you know, ranked number 90 and you can get $50,000, 35,000 pounds just for showing up, uh, you, you've earned that right. And it's it's a tough sport financially when you get away from the top, and these players have earned it with their rankings. Um, I, I think it's it's rational behavior to say, listen, I'll go out there, and even if it's only for a set, I still want to get paid. Uh, but at the same time, you're right. I mean, the, the fans the fans feel cheated. It doesn't make for uh, it's just not a good look. You're also depriving a colleague uh, who who is in a position to play a full match a chance. So I think this is. This is a pretty easy solution, honestly, uh, which is not something you often get. We'll see if uh, we'll see if wise heads can make it happen, but it doesn't seem like there's a lot of downside. No, for sure, and it's interesting because I think a lot of people, um, you know, just a kind of a casual fan, they're like retired. You know, like why did they just quit like that? You know, I think it's for an athlete from an athlete perspective. I think um, it might be a tough thing to sort of give yourself up before you even tried, right? Um, you know, you come in. It's such a grand tournament. You're kind of preparing for this, and you maybe you aren't, you know, 100%. But um, I think it's kind of also on the flip side, just to play devil's advocate, a, a tough thing for a, a decision for a player to make when you've sort of put all your effort into things, and then you, you want to give it a shot, right? It's an interesting. Yeah, no, solution. I mean you're right. I mean Jack Jack, Jack Sock, for example, had a, had what seemed to be a knee injury. He can go out there and like serve bombs and hit forehands, and doesn't necessarily maybe have to be a hundred percent, but again, you do hear of these instances where, and there are, there are rumors in the locker room and the players who are next up on court are told like, you know, leave your phone on, don't go far because we don't think this is going the distance. I mean, there are, mm-hmm. I think you're right. Sometimes as a competitive athlete, you say, you know what, I just want to give it a shot. But there are a couple instances where you know that the player had zero expectation of winning. And I think those are really the cases where they're trying to, uh, they're trying to correct it. Real quick, uh, Americans kind of doing pretty well uh, in the tournament, I guess, so far. Anyone um, in particular, you know, we should watch out for or that impress you? 
Um, I'd, I'd look to the women's side. I mean, I'd, I'd start with Venus. Allie Risk had a very nice win today over mm-hmm. Christina Mladenovic, who actually has won more matches than any other player on the women's tour. Allie Risk, a very nice grass court player, and she plays Coco Vandaway next, who's now with Pat Cash and, and looked uh, has looked terrific so far. Um, this surface really fits Coco Vandaway. She also, I mean, a little bit in that Ostapenko way we talked about. There's a certain toughness to uh, to Coco and a competitive fire that um i I think uh really helps her after that you know john isner uh lost today a match that realistically he he should not have i mean john isner shouldn't be losing to to duty sella on grass um jack stock at at full health i really would uh be watching him but it seems as though he's a bit compromised here comes daniela hanchikova who has called it a career after uh a former top five player Eight years. What was that? Eighteen years. Eighteen years, she says. Um, we congratulate her as she walks by. Uh, former top five player who um, announced today her retirement and her walking path gave us a chance to uh, to acknowledge that. Where were we, Jamie? American players. Um, I wish Jack Sock were, uh, were healthier. Francis CFO just uh, lost to Zverev, another... Uh, Next generation player, Jared Donaldson is a player to watch. But I, I think realistically, um, the, the the players to watch from from American standpoint are going to come uh, on the women's side. Awesome. All right, I think that's all I have for you. Uh, we'll let you get back to the end of the day here, and uh, we'll check in again next week. Sounds good. Thanks, Jamie. Take care. All right, everyone. That was this week's Sports Illustrated Tennis Channel Tennis Podcast. That was a fun conversation with John. Checked in on all the happenings and things going on around the grounds at the All England Club. We'll have another podcast next week. Have a good week, everyone.